Thank you for tuning into Stepping Stones of Faith. Stepping Stones of Faith is a ministry of Claytonville United Brethren Church. Our service times are as follows. Sunday morning Sunday school starts at 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship starts at 10.30 a.m. If you would like to join us for any of these services, our address is 106 Elizabeth Street, Claytonville, Illinois, 60926. We hope to see you this morning. All right, let's open up our Bibles. We're going to finish our study through the book of Amos today. Amos chapter 9. And we were talking this morning about the minor prophets we've been studying. If you're wondering the page, it's 790 in the Red Bibles. 790 in the Red Bibles. We were talking this morning about doing, we were, been, we, were, we were in Zephaniah in Sunday school, and Zephaniah ends his book with a positive note, on a positive note, on a blessing, on something that God promises. And we were talking about how the minor prophets we've been studying here in the regular services They've all been about judgment, and they've all been about God's, God's judgment upon Jerusalem and other nations and, and people groups because of their actions. And we kind of lose sight of the fact that God is a God of justice and that God is a sovereign God. And yes, he brings judgment, but he also brings promises of peace and joy. And so it was refreshing to go through Zephaniah this morning in Sunday school. Amos chapter 9 continues to talk about destruction and judgment. This time, I'm talking about the destruction of the sanctuary and how God's judgment is inescapable. That means we cannot escape it. That means we cannot go hide and run and hide under a rock or hide in a cave his judgment still will be there. It's inescapable. Remember the Bible said that whether, you make, whether I make my bed in hell or make my bed in heaven, you're there. God's presence is inescapable. His blessings are inescapable, but his judgments are also inescapable. So we have to be ready. We have to be walking in a life that is pleasing to God in such a way that we are found blameless before him when we go on to eternity. These are examples, these are pictures of a wayward and rebellious Jerusalem and Israel. And what happens? Does that mean that they're no longer God's chosen people? No, that is not what that means. They are still God's chosen people, but God still passes judgment. Suffice it to say in 2023, God still loves you and I, but when we do wrong, he's going to pass judgment upon us. Doesn't mean he loves us any less. It just means we need to get back with him and get right with him once more. So the destruction of the sanctuary. Chapter 9, starting in verse 1, going down to verse 4. I saw the Lord standing upon the altar, and he said, Strike the capitals so that the thresholds shake. Break them off onto the heads of, the, of all of them. Those who remain will stay with the sword. 
will be, will, I will slay with the sword. Not one of them will get away. Not one fugitive will survive. Though they dig down to Sheol, from there, there my hand will capture them. Though they climb up to the heavens, from there I will bring them down. Though they hide on the top of Carmel, from there I will search and catch them. Though they hide from my sight on the bottom of the sea, from there I will command the serpent to bite them. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, from there I will command the sword to slay them. I will set my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. <clears throat> now, this is pretty, pretty all-encompassing, all isn't it? There is no place we can hide. Strike the capitals, the highest points of the city, the, the most prominent points. Strike the capitals. Not one of them will get away. No one will get away. That's the same for us. If judgment comes to us in the end times, we're talking about end times also here in this prophecy. Not one will get away. Not one. Not one fugitive will survive. Though they dig down to Sheol, or whether I make my bed in hell, there he is. From there my hand will capture them. Though they climb up to the heavens, they go very high, thinking we get the high ground, we'll be okay. From there I'll bring them down. Though they hide on the top of Carmel, from there I will search and catch them. There are no places we can go. When we are in rebellion to God, there are no places we can hide. There are no places we can go. But you know where we can go? There's one place that we can go. When we're in rebellion before God, there's one place we can go, and it's to the feet of Jesus. It's to the foot of the cross. That's the only place we can go. We cannot hide. We cannot go to the depths of the sea. We cannot go to the heights of the heavens. We cannot hide in caves. We cannot go and hide in our prominent places. We cannot do those things, but we can go to the foot of the cross, and we can ask for forgiveness. And when we ask for forgiveness, he will extend his hand to us. He will honor us. He will bless us. He will redeem us. when we go to him. In this day and age, they didn't have Jesus yet. But they were still in rebellion. And how do they get out of rebellion? Well, they then turn to God and, do the, and follow the law. Sacrifices and offerings and humbling themselves and sackcloths and ashes. The commentator says... In the final vision of Amos, he saw the Lord right at the temple, su su supervising the work of judgment. Amos, wa Amos wanted Israel to know that God wasn't detached from even his hand, his hard work of judgment. So God was not going to send someone else to do his dirty work. 
God was taking care of it. Like the boss of demolitions, like the boss of a demolition squad or the commander of an invading enemy, he snaps his orders for the smashing of the temple and takes personal responsibility for seeing that the last offender is brought to justice. He also said that strike, strike the doorposts and thresholds may shake. Often the threshold is the structurally strongest part of the house. If the doorposts are broken, it shows that the whole house is fallen in. This is a poetic and powerful way to describe complete destruction. You ever see a house burn down or a house get taken down? A lot of times the doorways are still up, but everything in the middle is gone or down to the ground because that's the strongest part of the house. Verses 5 through 10. The Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts, and all who live in it will all live on it mourn. It all rises up like the Nile and subsides like the river of Egypt. Who builds his chambers in the heavens and founds his vault cover the earth? The summons of the uh, the who who summons the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth? The Lord is his name. Now let's look at that for a moment. The Lord of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts, and all who live in it mourn. It all rises up like the Nile and subsides like the river of Egypt. Now, this is talking about the sovereignty of God, the power of God. There, are, there used to be a song that we used to sing not here, but in other churches we were in, it talks about God's word, God's voice makes the mountains tremble. God touches the earth and it melts. The power of God. His hand can have the hand of peace and the hand of creation as we see in the book of Genesis, but it can also have the hand of destruction. He touches the earth and it melts. <clears throat> and all who live on it mourn. Why would they mourn? Because it's destruction, judgment. That's why he's sovereign. Because he brings judgment and he brings creation and peace. It all rises up like the Nile and subsides like the river of Egypt who builds his chambers in the heavens and founds his vault over the earth, who summons the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. So, everything that we feel and we see in this earth, 
the risings of the waters, the bringing downs of the waters, the drought we're experiencing now, the torrential rains we had three years ago, all of those things, God is in control of them. He is the one in control. He is the one who brings the rain. He is the one who stops the rain. He is the one who builds. He is the one who tears down. The Lord is his name. We tend to think we're pretty hot for our britches. Well, we are today, right? We're pretty hot today in this building. But we kind of think sometimes we're pretty smart, you know. We've built this or built that or destroyed this or destroyed that because we're smart. Guess what? God is the one who's done it, not me. He's the one who's given me the ability or you the ability, not me. He is the one. The Lord is his name. Are you not like the Ethiopians to me, O children of Israel, says the Lord? Did I not bring Israel up from the land of Egypt? but also the Philistines and from Kephor and the Armenians from Kerr. The eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom and I will destroy it from off the face of the earth. Though I will not completely destroy the house of Jacob, says the Lord. So God sees their sinful behavior. God sees their rebellion and God knows in what their hearts are. They cannot hide. They cannot hide in their stature. They cannot hide on their mountains or in their seas or in their caves or anything. God sees them and he sees them as he saw Egypt and he's going to destroy them. Not completely the house of Jacob but the rest of them. Why would he not destroy completely the house of Jacob? Because Judah and Jacob are God, that's God's chosen. Jacob was God's chosen. Jacob was Israel. And out of Israel comes the Savior. See, I am giving the command. And I will sift the house of Israel among the nations. Sift them. As one sifts with a, with a sieve. And not a pebble falls on the ground. All the sinners of my people will die by the sword. Those who say never will disaster reach or overtake us. What is this? What is this a sin of? This is a sin of pride. God can't touch us. Where did we see that before? We see it in the book of Genesis, in the Tower of Babel. Let's build a tower as high as the heavens so we can reach heaven. And they were determined to do it. And God had to confuse their languages because they were getting too big for their britches. God had to do that. He will sift the house of Israel. Sift them. 
What do you do when you sift? Do you ever make a cake and sift flour? I have. Put it in the sifter. We had one of these sifters that you did this with it. You had to, it was a metal thing. You had to squeeze it. And it would shake that thing and it would... All the good flour would go at the bottom and all the stuff would stay at the top. That wasn't supposed to be there. He's going to do that. That's how he's going to sift out the sinful. Whatever falls to the bottom is good. Whatever stays to the top is not. And that will be judgment upon those. So we have to ask ourselves, don't we, where are we as individuals? Are we going to be in the bottom Sifted out like the flour, or are we going to be at the top? The big stuff, the stuff that didn't get taken out in the first process. Are we going to be the, are we going to be the, the sheep, or are we going to be the goats in New Testament terminology? What are we? Not one pebble. Not a pebble falls to the ground. All the sinners of my people will die by the sword. Those who say, never will disaster reach out, reach or overtake us. Never will disaster overtake us or reach us. God says, you want to bet? You want to bet? God is saying here to these people, don't test me. You want judgment? And they're saying, and these people are saying, yes, we want it. God says, you want to bet? And he says, all the sinners of my people will die by the sword. All the sinners of my people will die by the sword. Now, Judgment comes because of pride. They were prideful. Are we prideful? Christians can be prideful in their own religion and in their relationship with God. They can be prideful. Well, look at me. I'm a believer. Look how I walk around all nice and all this stuff. Look at what I'm wearing. I'm not wearing a tie. I don't wear ties anymore. Look what I'm wearing. I'm wearing a tie. I'm wearing a three-piece suit. It's hotter than blazes in the church, but I don't care. I look good because I'm a Christian, by golly. What is our motivation? I don't care what you wear. Just be here in the house of God. Dress modestly, of course, but it's not required to wear a three-piece suit or a sundress with a hat. Just be here. When we think we're pride, Christians can be prideful and proud over their looks, over their congregation, over their church. We go to this church and it might be a big church. We go to the biggest church in the area. Look at us. We're important. We go to the biggest church. Prideful. Prideful. God doesn't want us to be like that. 
we go to the biggest church, therefore, you know, God, God's with us. Not with those people over there because they're got, they got no people in their church, but he's with us because we've got 300 people in our church. So God's with us, but he's not over there. That's pride. God says prideful people will die by the sword. Pride is one of those things that we tend to overlook in our lives. It's one of those things that slips in. We don't realize it. Unless we are truly with God and truly walking with God in a real way. Pride can cause issues in our lives. So when I say we need to check ourselves from the pulpit to the pew, I mean we need to see whether we're prideful or not. What do we boast? about in our life. Boy, we had 300 people today in our church and we had 17 visitors. Boy, God's really working in our church and he's really, he's really doing something. A lot of times, I'll tell you something, a lot of times <clears throat> those kind of things can be mistaken for boasting, and they are boasting, really. They, we, we talk about, well, God, we, let's praise God for all of the visitors, and somebody goes out and says, praise God, we had 300 people and 17 visitors today. God's really doing something in our church, and maybe he is. But what is the core reason of why we say that? Are we really praising God, or are we being prideful? Because we belong to the biggest church in the county or whatever the case, right? So what is our heart really like? The heart of these people was prideful, pride. They didn't think they could be punished for what they were doing. They didn't think God cared. They thought God, knew, God understood and God was going to just leave it be. No, God doesn't leave it be. God judges us. God ministers to us in judgment sometimes as well as blessing. If you've had children in your lives, and every single one of us have had children in our lives, <clears throat> did you look the other way when your child disobeyed you? Or did you punish them? If you told little Johnny, don't be touching those cookies there for dessert after supper, and you walk out of the room, and little Johnny's got his fingers full of chocolate chips, and his mouth's chocolate with chocolate chips, you're going to say, well, you know, I know you couldn't help yourself. They look too good, and I shouldn't have put them there to where you could see them, and I shouldn't have told you. So you get a pass. It's all right. It's my fault. I shouldn't have done that. Is that how we do with our kids? That's not how God does with us. That's not how we do with our kids. If you tell little Johnny, leave those chocolate chip cookies alone because they're going to be for dessert after supper, and he eats four of them before you get to him, then he disobeyed, and he deserves punishment, however that looks, time out, stuff taken away, or whatever. God is saying the same thing. 
prideful things. God, God's saying, okay, well, pride isn't going to work. God's not going to say, well, you're prideful, okay. It was my fault. I shouldn't have given you all this blessing. God is not going to do that. God is going to pass judgment on us if we are prideful. And what happens when we do? Get judgment. What is our heart like? What is my heart like? What is your heart like? God passes judgment on us. Do we shake our fist at God and say, God, well, this is your fault. You shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have given me all this. Or do we say, God, forgive me because I have sinned against you. The most beautiful chapters in the Bible is the 51st Psalm. You ever read the 51st Psalm? It is the most beautiful passages in the Bible. And the 51st Psalm is basically David repenting before God of his affair with Bathsheba. But it's a beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture. It is the heart of a person who realizes their sin, is not prideful about it, and is very contrite and very downtrodden because of it. And it's beautiful. That's the heart of a person who follows God. And these people did not follow God. Now Amos continues, verse 11, about the restoration of the Davidic kingdom. Because God does restore. When we repent, he does restore. On that day will I raise up the hut of David that is fallen. I will close up its breached walls raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the nations called by my name says the Lord who will do this. Now, to, be rest, to have restoration there needs to be repentance. Repentance has to take place in order for restoration to take place. The reason God did not destroy Nineveh when Jonah was there was because there was repentance. He later then, as we saw in our studies, he later then destroyed Nineveh because of their lack of repentance. But restoration has to be brought about because of repentance. We sin, we go before God, we repent. God builds us back up. We have to be built back up in order to go on in God. We cannot shake our fists in God and say, it is your fault, God, because you gave me this. David, not David, Adam did that, didn't he? What, did you done? what have you done, Adam? It wasn't me, it was that woman you gave me. It's your fault, God. So what, Adam don't know how to make his own decisions? Eve certainly did, didn't she? But Adam said, it ain't my fault. It's that woman you gave me. Is that how we are? 
Why'd you do that? Not my fault. Not my fault. You put me in this position, God. Is that what God wants to hear? No. We have to have repentance in order to have restoration. Restoration happens with repentance. And so we see that Amos is prophesying of a time of repent, a, a repentant Israel. On that day I will raise up the hut of David that has fallen. I will close up the breached walls, raise up its ruins. That's the heart of man. 2023, God says, I will raise the walls up. I will raise up the ruins of your life if you repent and rebuild it as, as in the days of old that, that, that you may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations called by my name, says the Lord who do, will do this. God is going to give us restoration, but we have to be repentant. 2023, I'm going to tell you this nation is in judgment. This nation is under the hand of God's judgment. And this nation needs to repent in order for this nation to be restored. And unfortunately, this nation is so enthralled with their sin that it is not going to be repentant until God does something drastic. So our nation, not everybody in it, is unrepentant, but the majority of our nation and our world is an unrepentant, rebellious nation before God and world before God. And in order for it to be re restored, it has to be repentant. And that starts with me, it starts with you, it starts with those that are around about us. We must start with ourselves repenting. We can call for the nation to repent, but it has to start with me. Just like if you look at the Nineveh story, when Nineveh repented. Nineveh needed to repent. The king could have said, you all need to get repentance. You all need to repent. You're all sinful. That's what he could have said. But what did he do? He himself got in sackcloth and, sackcloth and ashes. It started with the king. So it has to start with you and I. It has to start with you and I. We want our families to be saved and be repentant. It has to start with us. If we want our, our workmates to be repentant and be saved, it has to start with us. We have to have a type of air about us or a type of example of repentance and following Jesus Christ. We have to have that. if we want to have an effect on those around us. Indeed, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the one who is reaping and the treader of grapes, the one who is sowing the seed. The mountains will drop sweet wine and all the hills will flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. 
They will rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. Not only is God going to restore, but he's going to restore with abundance. If we look at Job, Job lost everything. His family, his livelihood, his livestock, his home, lost everything. What happened? He was repentant toward God. He did not sin against God. And what did God do? God not only restored, but he restored with abundance. And that is not an Old Testament concept. That is a lifelong concept. God, when we repent, he will restore, but he will restore with abundance. You see, you wonder why some of you, some of you might be thinking, well, we're going through the Old Testament the whole year. Why are we going through the Old Testament, the prophets? Tell you why. Because there's a lot of good history lessons in these books. Got a lot of good concepts in these books, such as this one. The repentance brings about restoration. Restoration with abundance if we are sincere with God. That isn't just an Amos time. That isn't just an Old Testament concept. That is a 2023 concept. That is a 2023 concept. He goes on. I will plant them upon their land, and no more will they be uprooted out of their land which I have given them. The Lord your God has spoken. Now, because they're repentant, because they have turned back to God, he will put them where they belong and the, upon the land where they once were. He will make sure, because of their repentance, because of their turning back, he will make sure they're never uprooted again. We know up to this point, they were wandering in the desert, they were in exile, they were all over the place. He is saying he is going to put them where, he, where, they, where they were, where they're planted, he's going to put them where they're planted, and they're going to stay there. Why? Because they have repented. They have repented of their sin. They have repented. Repentance brings about restoration. Restoration sometimes comes with abundance. But nevertheless, can't have restoration and abundance without repentance. We're all human. I'm human. You're all human. We all sin on a daily basis. But well, how do you know that? Because I'm human. We all sin on a daily basis. We know that's right. We know I'm not speaking a, an untruth. 
in ourselves, in our hearts, we know that's right. We sin upon a daily basis. So if we sin upon a daily basis, doesn't that require us to repent on a daily basis? If we want to be right with God. If we repent on a daily basis, we will be right with God. God will restore us and restore us with abundance, should he so choose to do so. Nevertheless, he will restore us at least. Amen? When we walk with God, we don't have to worry about where am I going to end up when I die? Where will I be when I die? There was a study one time years ago. Somebody conducted an interview with different people groups, different types of people. Asked the question, do you know, where, you know what happens after you die? Or do you, know where you're, do you know where you're going after you die? The majority of those people said they didn't know. I don't know. Isn't that a shame? That they have such uncertainty in their lives that they don't know where they're going to be when they die. But we can have certainty. We can have certainty. Starts with repentance. Then comes restoration. And if we do that on a daily basis, because we do sin on a daily basis, we've established that. If we do that on a daily basis, we know where we're going to be when we die. Should we go to bed tonight and not wake up in the morning? We should not be fearful of where we're going to end up. We'll be with Jesus. What's the Bible say? The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if we are right with God right now and we die tonight in our sleep, we can be confident that we are in, pres in the presence of God in that very moment. Amen? So that's why it is extremely important. That's why Amos dealt with the destruction, the sin of Israel. Because in the very last section of this book, it's a positive thing. If we do what is right, God will restore if we do what is right, God will bring us to a place of not only restoration, but abundance in Him. Abundance in God. Amen? So what is our assignment for this week? Well, number one assignment, try to stay cool. If it rains and you're out in the daytime, go out in the rain and cool off. But on a serious note, our assignment for this week is to practice daily repentance. Practice it. Whether we think we have sinned, whether we knowingly have rebelled against God, or whether we've just gone through our lives and for that day and thought, well, I didn't do anything bad. Well, we probably have. We're just not aware of it. Because there are things that happen in our lives we're not aware of. There are people that talk to you or sometimes talk to me and every other word out of their mouth is a swear word and they don't even realize they're doing it because it's so ingrained in them. So do they need to repent? Yes, 
Do they know they're doing? Do they know they're sinning? Probably not. But they still need to repent. So those kinds of things we've got to think about. What do I do in my life? What is some kind of sin that I am doing that I don't even realize I do because it's so much part of who I am? Ask God to reveal those things and then repent and allow God to restore you to a place better than you were before. Amen? Let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your blessings. Thank you for this book that we could delve into it and we could understand it. I pray that you would bless our hearts and our minds as we go through this week. Help us, Father, to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with you and to do a daily practice of repentance for things that we've done knowingly or unknowingly, that, Father, we would be right before you. Lord, I pray that you'd bless each and every one that's here. Lord, all those up here and all those that are downstairs, bless each and every one and minister to us today. Give us a good week. Give us a relaxing day today and minister to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Stepping Stones of Faith. I pray that you find value in this content. You can also find an audio podcast of this program on all the major podcasting platforms. Just type Stepping Stones of Faith into the podcast search bar. Once again, I'm Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me today.